Well, it is lovely to be together this evening. Three churches, three congregations, really one church, the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on this night, as we think about all, all that it means, all that it was leading to, there at the cross where the barriers are broken down between one another, between us, and between us and God himself. Well, we are expressing something of that just by being together this evening, aren't we, to share in this, in this special time. And for those of us from All Saints, it is a very special time because we've not been allowed to, to break bread and drink wine for a very long time. So we are uh, overjoyed to be here. Thank you, Keith, for your warm welcome and to be here with, with Merv as well. Uh, there he is. And uh, to share in the service together. Well, if you have a Bible, please would you turn back to our reading, Matthew chapter 26, that we just uh, heard read um, a moment or two ago. This is really not so much a sermon, I guess more a meditation, a Maundy Thursday meditation as we prepare to gather at the Lord's table. Matthew chapter 26 and from verse 36. Well, maybe some here this evening have been to Gethsemane outside Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley with its olive groves. Gethsemane means oil press, oil press. It was the place where the olives were crushed so that their oil could be poured out. Now, why was it called that? Well, because there were olive trees there and so on, of course. But why? Why there? Because of what would happen this night. Because this would be the place where Jesus would be crushed. Where his suffering would begin. So that the life of the Spirit might be poured out. That we might know him and share his life together. Many people have faced death with tremendous calmness. Even cheerfulness. The story is often told of the Greek philosopher Socrates, who uh, surrounded himself with his friends and calmly comforting them as they wept, drank hemlock and died. And in the early years of the uh, New Testament church, one of church father, Oregon, the teenager, was rather too keen on being martyred. It was a great thing in those days to die as a martyr. He was rather too keen on that. And his mother famously hid all his clothes to prevent him from rushing outside. And teenage modesty overcame his desire to be martyred. And he lived to face another day. Many people have gone to their deaths for causes that they believed in cheerfully and calmly with determination. But here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus faces his own death and shrinks from it. It's not simply the matter of suffering and dying in itself, fearful as that may be. And fearful as that is for many, even for followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that process that we've, none of us has gone through before. But Jesus sees something in his suffering and in his death that is unlike anything anyone else will face. And it makes him shudder. 
He says in verse 38, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Even the thought of what lay ahead was enough even to kill him. Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus was in agony and his sweat was like drops of blood. And three times in our passage this evening, Jesus prays that if it is possible, this cup might be spared him. I wonder as we read it together, whether in your mind's eye you were taken back to another garden at the very start of history, at the start of the Bible, where another man faced a choice, whether he would insist on his own will or whether he would submit and trust the Father's will. It was Adam, of course. Adam in a garden paradise, a world that never knew what sin was at that point. And in a sense, everything was on Adam's side. All he had to do was to trust the Lord and not do something, not eat from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But faced with one choice, the kind of life he wanted to live and who to please, Adam chose himself. And of course, in that, he led the way for the rest of us. In fact, the Bible says he didn't just lead the way, but we were all there in Adam at that moment. His choice was your choice and my choice. And our lives, day by day, are just echoes of that choice that we made as a race those centuries ago. But now, tonight, we're in another garden, and there is another man, a second Adam. And since the moment of his birth, Jesus has walked in obedience and in trust of his Father, day by day, moment by moment, living the perfect life that, that we were meant to live but have never lived and never could. And now for the first time, not for the first time, I should say, he sees where this path will lead. He's known where it would end all his life. But now as it draws near, the horror of where it will end overwhelms him. It was one thing to begin this way, to be baptized in the River Jordan with sinners like us, to identify himself with us there in the waters and go down for baptism. And throughout his ministry, Jesus continued on that way, spending time with sinners and tax collectors and earning a reputation as a glutton and a drunkard because he spent so much time with them. Healing and restoring and forgiving. And as if as he went through this world, there was a little zone of Eden the Garden of Eden, all around him, and he was, as he was turning the world back to what it should always be. So not for the first time, but now, as the end approaches, Jesus sees where obedience will take him, where it will inevitably take him. 
when we face difficult times, we want to be surrounded by our friends, don't we? We want those nearest to us to be with us. Even just to be there is important. And Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. In verse 37, he leaves the other disciples and he goes on just with his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. And as he goes ahead with them, the thought of what lies ahead is so crushing that he breaks down in front of them. We're told he began to be sorrowful and troubled. What an understatement that must be. Going a little further, he, pr- he prays in verse 39, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Well, what does he mean? What is this cup that he's faced with, this cup that he's about to drink, that only the Father has the power to take from him? Well, if you're a student of the Bible, you'll know. The Psalms and the Old Testament prophets speak about this cup. It was the cup of God's wrath, the cup of judgment for our sin, the wine of the fury of God's wrath, as John describes it in Revelation chapter 16. It's the judgment that belongs to us as members of Adam's race for our selfishness and our disobedience and our rebellion. It's this cup of judgment that is coming to Jesus in order to save us from judgment. He himself must drink this cup for us right down to the dregs. Jesus knows where the road will lead and it's a death more terrifying than anyone has than, than, than one anyone has ever faced before. This cup is a cup given to him by his father. You see, not only will the whole world be against him, but for that time on the cross, it is as if the father turns his face away, as the song says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, in our mind's eye, perhaps we can see him on the cross. It is as if he is rejected by earth, but also rejected by heaven, in a sense. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, of course, at the same time, heaven's attention and love is fixed on him most deeply. At his baptism... And on the Mount of Transfiguration, the father, so overwhelmed with love for his obedient son, bursts out publicly, this is my son who I love. With him I am well pleased. What would happen, Jesus imagines, for the father to turn his face away? Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Well, think of creation. Everything that is, creation itself, it only exists as a gift from the Father to the Son, the Scripture tells us. Creation is an overflow of the Father's love for his Son. What would it mean for the world, for the Father to turn his face away from his Son? 
Would creation even survive? Or would it collapse back into chaos as it was at the beginning? When the sun drank the cup of wrath, would everything just cease to exist and fall into nothingness? What would it mean for the Son to receive from the Father, not his infinite love that he has received moment after moment, but the cup of his wrath poured out? Jesus knew there was a way out. Satan offered an easier way for Jesus and for his disciples, a way that would mean an escape from what lay ahead, an easy, comfortable way. And he could have taken it, as Adam did. That was a real temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if he had taken that way out, what then for us? Three times he prays, yet not as I will, but as you will. There in the garden and on the cross, one man is standing in for the whole human race. And what are the disciples doing? Those closest to him, those he wanted around him in his hour of need, as Jesus is in agony, we are told his disciples are asleep. As he faces the greatest trial of his life, they can't keep their eyes open. Watch and pray he tells them in verse 41, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Well, in a matter of minutes, the disciples will abandon him. In a few hours, Peter will deny him. Meanwhile, Jesus asks his closest friends, couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour Don't we see ourselves in the disciples? They show us just how weak we are, how, how weak our flesh is, just how quickly we look for an easier way. His followers are all around him, all present there in the garden. We might say the church is present there in a sense, there with him, but it sleeps. We play no part in what Jesus is about to do. We play no part in the events that follow. It is one man acting on behalf of all of us, sinners, rebels and failures. Jesus must go on alone. And he does it for them, even as they fall asleep, even as they flee and as, as they betray him. He does it for them. And he does it for us because we are failures and because we are sinners. In the end, we're just spectators, passive recipients of what Jesus is about to do. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of crushing, the place where life flows out, Jesus' own crushing begins. 
as he sees what lies ahead and he prays, yet not my will, but yours be done.